This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, flamethrowers, Shireen here. We're going to be a little unconventional and do things the backwards way. I've got Brenda Elsie with me here. Hey, Bren. Hey. So happy to talk to you about the most volatile 72 hours football scene in a while, men's football, that is. Flamethrowers, I interviewed British soccer journalist Fadumo Alo of the Women's Telegraph in London on Tuesday. And within a couple hours of our interview, the proposed European Super League of men's football fell apart completely. It started to dismantle rather. So what Brenda and I are gonna do right now is give you a little bit of an update and then we'll keep the interview with Fadumo, amazing journalist as is. So Brenda, can you tell us about this complete debauchery of everything we know and how it fell apart and we stood on the sidelines eating popcorn and laughing. I feel like debauchery, which is a mix that you've made up, I believe, Shireen, between debauchery and debacle (laughs) is the perfect way to describe this. You've actually, the Super League has generated an entirely new vocabulary about how misguided the elite men at the top of global football um, organized this sport that so many people love and with such a lack of consideration for the clubs and the supporters who make football what it is. And of course, the athletes that make it what it is. And the women's game. The <laughs> women's game, um, unfortunately, is almost always collateral damage of this debauchery. Um, and, and this is no different. So what we have is a $5 billion, um, investment made by JP Chase Morgan because of an unidentified set of people still. Um, it's not clear, uh, probably the idea for this, which came from, um, some floundering club presidents who wanted to, you know, get more of the share of the Champions League pie and um, a sponsor who we don't know, probably a major U.S. sponsor, and um, maybe Rupert Murdoch, and maybe, you know, there's all kinds of questions about who might have been involved in in trying to um, bankroll this and pose this threat to UEFA, which is such a giant part of FIFA money that it involves FIFA as well. And so uh, initially there were 12 teams, it came as a complete shock. It never looked serious from the beginning. My suspicion is that they wanted concessions, that no one thought this was actually going to be a thing. It violates every labor law in every country in Europe, basically. <laughs> and Just so everybody knows, and I did 
mention this in the interview you'll hear with Vidumo, Jordan Henderson, captain of Liverpool, actually assembled all the captains of the teams around. So you had like the Avengers coming out there to like say we're not going to handle this because essentially this type of like absolutely rigid and horrific capitalism is like Thanos. It it didn't look, though, like it was as serious as it was disruptive to be disruptive and I think to maybe get some concessions. So we had 12 teams. We're mm. now down to three. Um, so that would be an amazing – we'd have a Classico plus Juve um, championship. Just so everybody knows, the six clubs were from – England, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Tottenham, the Spanish clubs were Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and the Italian clubs were AC Milan, Inter Milan, and Juventus. And as Brenda just mentioned, the El Clasico is the traditional rivalry between Real Madrid and Barcelona. So they're literally the only two Spanish clubs left with Juventus who are relentless in their stupidity is that what we can say unless they think they're getting something out of it which they may just shake shake them scared a little bit with this but yeah there's those 12 clubs um hats off to the supporters Mm -hmm. and the protesters and Mm -hmm. the feminist criticisms of this because those together i think uh, made it come down a lot quicker than it than it might have otherwise. So I don't want to look at it as a foregone conclusion because money gets what money gets, right? Mm-hmm. But um, but they really Arsenal, I believe, is the only club that apologized mm-hmm. for just being so damn stupid. Um, <laughs> it was, I mean, immediately FIFA plays the biggest card, which is if this happens, none of the players will be eligible for the World Cup. Yeah. And and UEFA came out hard, like, and you'll hear about this in my interview with Fadumo, which follows this conversation with Bren, how it was just, it was, it was shocking, it was offensive, and the supporters, the fans around the world rallied digitally, and you had protests outside, well, small protests, I know outside of Enfield, there was like one lone man with a sign, but you know what, that man... Kudos to that man for standing out there and being like, I don't want to take this. And I mean, I think one of the really interesting things here, and this is what I love talking to Brenda about, there's no clubs from Germany. There was no clubs that are held in a cooperative, you know, collective ownership model. It was all these conglomerates like the Coca-Colas, the Walmarts, the Amazons of, of football. Yeah, and and you saw, I mean, I thought it was really powerful when Marcelo Bielsa, um, the most genius coach uh, living today, uh, came out. And, of course, he he coaches, you know, leads and is saying, like, hey, um, you know, the sweetheart story of last year about the ability for a weak team to develop and to get to play with these powerful teams is one of the last reasons that people are willing to stomach professional football. And he made this really sad statement and he said, you know, unfortunately, the idea that dominates the world and football does not operate outside of it is that um, the rich deserve to or or will be uh, getting richer at the cost of the poor and the weaker and the less powerful. And, and that's what it is. And I hope he slept a little better watching those fans saying like, yes, we know Marcelo. Yes, we're here. Um, We understand that. So the ascension and relegation 
is incredibly important. And so mm -hmm. the fact that you would Americanize this model, like the U.S. sports teams that don't go up and down, you know, MLS, like you just buy into the Ponzi scheme and then your team is always in it. Um, and that, that is so, that's like the last thing left. I mean, and I was actually on a conversation with our co-host Jessica Luther before the teams pulled out from England. And I said to her, I said, look at Gabriel Jesus from Brazil, 24 years old, Man City. You think he's going to miss a World Cup to play in this farce? Mm -hmm. You can think players just go for money. And you can continue to cast them as greedy, but I don't think that's true. I think they care tremendously about that tournament and representing their nation. And I think the shadowy figures that we don't see that wield a lot of power is those players' agents mm -hmm. and Comebol, which probably immediately said, we will not go to the World Cup without our team. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it's, then you've got Qataris versus Qataris, right? Mm -hmm. The Qataris that want the World Cup to happen. Mm -hmm. And the Qataris that that do have an investment in some of these clubs saying like, whoa, wait a minute, um, because the World Cup would be compromised without those players and Kamebal would have pulled out. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting is those that, that heard our episode on Tuesday, we talked about stadiums and we talked about Qatari yeah. money. And what's really interesting about this whole this whole gong show of a football thing is that the European Club Association had had a chairman who was initially Andrea Agnelli, who was also chairman of Juventus, and he was replaced well, by Paris Saint-Germain president Nasser al-Khalifi, who, who's also Qatari yes. and no doubt has links to the royal family in Qatar. So it's almost like it's this weird, you know, not just that burn it all down knows how to cover this stuff, but that it's related. And when you get into upper echelons of football and money and corruption and schemes, this is all related. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm still going for PSG on all fronts. <laughs> However, that's a side we can have a problematic, super problematic fave. But I'm just saying like this, Brenda, this is deeply embedded. But did this make you feel, did this make little Marxist Brenda feel happy? Did the result of this make you like this whole Super League dismantled and crumbled? And I tweeted this like a second class stadium, like where they make their women play. It made this Marxist feminist very happy. I, I was very worried for the women's teams. I know we all were. They've made tremendous progress. To say that you're going to have a Champions League and pull these women out of competition with Lyon, with Wolfsburg, mm -hmm. you know, is a slap in the face to everything they've done. And then just to say, oh, well, you don't really have to come with us. That's almost worse. I don't even know what they could have done um, to make this palatable um, for the women's side. So I'm I'm really happy about how quickly um, a lot of the, the women writers got on this. I will say there was a little bit of notable silence from some of the main outlets who mm -hmm. have, uh, let's say, standard um, male writers on this beat who should have, I think, considered that when they wrote it themselves because that was people's first, you know, breath of this story. But yeah, I absolutely love seeing this crumble and I love to see the cloak torn off because, of course, you know, the people defending this, you know, UEFA and, and their sort of weepy 
um, don't, you can't, you'll ruin football with your money is just laughable. So the fact that everybody here and their greed was just revealed and then it didn't win like for once was great. I feel like that is, is a win in itself and that all the grassroots, cause I mean, one of the things was that this shows you about the world's game. It's a people's game and the global game. And it made me really excited to say the least, but you know, at the end of my conversation, and this is a bit of, it's not really a spoiler because we already know what happens, is I asked Fadumo what the best possible outcome could be. Brenda, do you think this is the best possible outcome? I do. I think, I, I guess the only thing that I wish is that there was better reporting on it, mm-hmm. that people, people jumped on the clickbait and went so far ahead of what it would look like that they didn't really stop. I feel like it really was the grassroots people that were out there saying, hey, this is what matters, you know? And and so I guess there was a way in which it was so sensationalized that I was somewhat disappointed mm-hmm. uh, that it didn't feel like the, you know, victory it should have been or could have been. Like, I didn't think this was going to happen. I was texting you Monday morning and I was like, this is ridiculous. This is a farce. This is a farce. And it needs to be called out as such. And like, instead, I felt like there was all these writers that were just like into the like dystopia that were so like nostalgic. And like, look at the end of the day, what exists sucks too. So this is the best possible outcome because people showed both sides. There were people that were like, hey, we're not crying any crocodile tears for the people right now that are the debauchery of of global football. But what they're doing is even worse. So I did love that we got to that place. I just wish sometimes that the reporting wasn't so sort of sensationalized um around this uh men versus men in this place and like cloaks and daggers and you know i mean i have to tell you i thoroughly enjoyed this ride yes uh i thought it was fantastic <laughs> i thought the grassroots uh you know the whatsapp groups of the football writers yeah had a lot of fun shout out to disruptors fc because that was it's a good time um as always brenny bren bren i love these conversations with you I actually never thought we would sit here one day and mocking the mismanagement and the collapse of ideas of rich, stale, old (laughs) white men. But I enjoy this place. I am enjoying it here. I like it here. I feel like we need merch, Super League (laughs) merch. That's it, you know, for burn it all down. Oh my God. With something that's like the debauchery of global football. It's like, it's like, you know, where's my Super League? Uh, you know, because it's it's floundering, yeah, like running for the hills, like all the chairmen, and just so everybody knows, the chairman of Manchester United also was not. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. 
Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com slash blue wire to start hiring today. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As well as Ignelli of Juventus. So just want to let people know. And again, Brendan and I are recording on Wednesday night. And it's possible that tomorrow something else will happen. And if so, we will update the show notes. So you've got this conversation then the one following this, which was with Fadumo, which was recorded Tuesday. So flamethrowers, we will try to keep you as updated as best we can. And just watching the ongoing debauchery. The mockery of the debauchery. <laughs> so that's the word, the debauchery. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? This is Shireen, and I have struggled with anxiety and depression in the past. I've often turned to counseling and therapy to help me through. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. But this service is available for clients worldwide. Flamethrowers, wherever you are, BetterHelp can help you. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy, which may not even be possible in a pandemic anyway. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read testimonials that are posted there daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash burn, that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they have started recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer for Burn It All Down listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash burn. That's betterhelp.com slash B-U-R-N. Hello, flamethrowers. This is Shireen, and I am so, so excited and have so many questions for our next guest. One of my favorite people in the entire universe, Faduma Olau, is social media manager, Jordan and List Extraordinaire at the Women's Telegraph in London, UK. And she, flamethrowers, will be explaining all the Super League nonsense shenanigan chatter to us today. Hello, my friend. Hiya, how are you? I'm good. How are you? 
I'm good. It's been like a, a crazy couple of days. Um, you know, like, it's that feeling, you know, like when you're in Ramadan and you get to like day six or seven and you don't know what day it is. I feel like we're at that level with the Super League. Like, I'm not quite sure how many days we've been talking about this now. <laughs> but I'm just, it's a lot. But I'm good. But, but I, I feel like we know way more about Ramadan than we know about the Super League. That is true. We know a lot more about Ramadan than we know about the Super League. But um, yeah, no, that's my current standing. So I guess like just going straight into it. What um, It's just, it's a bit mad. <laughs> I don't really know how else to describe it. It's just an absolute madness um the proposed european super league is going to have six premier league clubs um it's quoted as the big six and i think the first question is how do you define the big six because if you look at the current table none of the quote-unquote big six currently stand in the top six of the table so that's like you know the first argument and i think the one that's a bit closer to home here for us at telegraph women's sports is how what does it mean for women's football you know um is one of those things that when you see people talk about women's football sometimes you feel like it's just like a that was definitely like a PR line that was thrown in because it was just one sentence um out of a whole statement um that said you know women's football we'll deal with it when the time comes it, it wasn't quote unquote the words but something along those lines so yeah no just all a bit mad really so it specifically said as soon as practice after the start of the Benz competition, a corresponding women's league will also be launched, helping to advance and develop the women's game. That is the quote. And I'm pulling this from Susie Rack's piece. Um, and the thing is, is that I had so many questions about this. And obviously, as someone who pays attention to football generally, and by the way, I don't necessarily feel attacked by your comment of the big six in the table as an Arsenal fan myself, but that's fine, which is one of the teams. To be fair, I, I personally call it a big four plus Arsenal and Tottenham, but you know, each oh. oh, okay. So just for everybody to know. <laughs> Miss Ola was actually a menu supporter. Yes. I don't know why. I don't know why. We all <laughs> love Marcus Rashford, but that's not enough. Anyways, I think that, oh, wow, the top four plus Arsenal and Tottenham. <laughs> so it's been a really, really hectic week this week. It's yeah. been chaotic, as well as Jose Mourinho getting sacked from Tottenham. Yeah. He and the coaching staff are gone. Like, what? So about the Super League. And actually, I think that Mourinho getting fired didn't get the attention it normally would have because of all the Super League. Oh, 100%. League that's why it was like thrown in in the middle. It's like a curveball. Right. So the Super League is proposed 12 teams and they're from, uh, they're from Germany, Spain and England, correct? Yeah. So it's got Real Madrid. So and Florentino Perez is the Real Madrid president and he's the first person that spoke out about the um, Super League. Right. So there's no teams from France as we know of yet. As of yet, yeah. That could change. Okay, so how is this going to affect the Champs League? Because I really want to see PSG go forward in the Champs League, but may they not have anyone to play? Because as a result of the proposed Super League, UEFA has come out against it and said they will, you know, throw fines or use whatever laws applicable. So basically, a lot of men made a bad decision. All these other men are reacting angrily to those bad decisions that will unequivocally affect women. Am I right on this or am I wrong? So I, what I find completely ironic about this whole situation more than anything, and I think it shows you the position that women's football fans are constantly in, it's like, this is like, we're so used to like people constantly st or making football difficult for us. It's This is just like the norm, you know, reacting things out to this. So you're seeing people support, you know, men's football who are coming out with like, oh my God, how dare they put business first? You know, it's about 
culture, it's about football, it's about growing the game, etc., etc. And it's like, you know, when we say those arguments for women's sports, somehow they're not valid. Um, so it's interesting to see people take those arguments that we've frequently used in women's football and use them for the purpose against the European Super League. But um, taking it back to, I guess, logistically, it's, it is going to be a bit of a logistical nightmare in the sense that, you know, all these teams have been invited. They've been invited on a 23-year contract or plan. Um, that's a proposed and set up for it. There is no qualification to it. It's unlike the Champions League and the Europa League where you qualify and each season you'll have a different group of people um, in those tournaments, depending on how well they're doing. Um, this is just a guaranteed tournament for the foreseeable future for these teams, which really is going to affect, I guess, um, the Premier League as one, but the Europa League and the Champions League, because you're going to have those massive feeder clubs, which do, again, drive a lot of money into these leagues, who in theory can be in 20th position in their country's league, you know, their national league, but they're still playing amongst the best in this elite club that they have. So it is a really, really weird way to do it and to also invite people, invite specific clubs to it um, based on financial gain and financial growth rather than actual like you know credibility of how they've performed over the last couple of years you know Leicester City is one example of a club that should definitely have been in that mix but isn't it's not obviously nearly as big as Manchester United and Arsenal but that doesn't mean it's any less worthy of being in an elite um, league like that if it is promoting eliteness based on performance. So how did these how were the invitations issued? Were they just based on a financial model of those clubs? Because I'm, why is, like, Schlepke in there? Like, I'm trying to, like, I'm wondering, there's some teams, you know that song, One of These Things Just Doesn't Make Sense, <laughs> from Sesame Street. Yeah, and I'm yeah. just like, is this really triggered by money? That's my first question. I think, um, you know, the COVID pandemic obviously affected sports in a lot of, a lot of ways. There's something like men's football, which I think very much lives on the, on the fence you know it's it's never quite got enough money and it's very quickly able to lose a lot of money if a case something like a global pandemic does happen which affected sport as a collective but I think that was probably the driving force behind it I know there was rumors about it over the, the last couple of years and Arsene Wenger said in a very famous interview um over 10 years ago that this is this is going to be the future of football and the comparison that people are giving it is it is treating football like a franchise it's moving away from the traditional of it being community, of it being based on, um, you know, bringing people together and, and having it as a, like an Americanized franchise and ownership. So it is a bit of a crazy process. And I guess from a women's footballing perspective, it just shows you the lack of knowledge that um, sometimes people might have around women's football or sometimes how women's football can be an afterthought in a lot of these cases. So the example is that, you know, by just putting in that one line saying, you know, we'll think about the plans for women's football in the near future, there's no clarity on whether the women are the women's football teams going to be exactly the same as the men's one, which are in there. Because if that's the case, then Liverpool, who are currently in the championships, will be in that, but not Leon and Wolfsburg, who've collectively won the Champions League over the last ten years. So it sometimes it just shows you the disparities that exist within sports and more so women's football and how there is so much to go. And also the argument that you know this isn't the time to do it because of. Um, you know, trying to see how it's going to grow in the near future. It's not really a good argument because essentially you'd want to start something and women's football is at its peak as it is so far and the Women's Champions League has shown how much they're trying to grow that and they're really trying to grow that as much as they possibly can. So to have something else in the midst of that is a bit crazy. Like, I think I'll always feel like women are going to have to come up with the solutions 
to deal with the problems that men create in football. And like, I'm just, it's, we see it again and again, like right now in the Women's Champs League, um, Paris Saint-Germain just ousted uh, Olympique Lyonnais, who were like one of the top winners of this. So like, we see the growth, we see how competitive these clubs are. We saw Chelsea, who two years ago were relative nothings, now to be like one of the top teams in, in the Women's League. And like, we see this growth and this movement and this upward mobility. And then we see, all these these men in power, these brokers come essentially with, you know, and I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I just think it bears repeating that they're throwing wrenches into that movement. And is there a way, do you think there's a solution for this? Like, should women just govern women's football? Like, it's not possible with clubs to break away necessarily, but is there a way to do that? Because like, if Liverpool gets swept up into this, and by the way, uh, Liverpool captain actually called a meeting with the other captains of the club. So it's like this Avengers model coming. I don't know what's going to happen with it. But most certainly there's alarm. But I do want to take us back for a second to think about that. Is there a way that we could potentially govern? Is there a way like a good model to govern that that we can go with if this does go forward? And if the clubs themselves go forward and the women's sides don't want to go, do the women have a choice or do they have to go? I think it takes it to, um, I don't even remember when Manchester City were, and, and Chelsea had these um, financial kind of, financial restrictions put in place with them and Manchester City couldn't play in the uh, in the Champions League because of things that had gone on in the club. And there was a lot of talk about whether these implications that the men's club had done would affect the women's team. And essentially they didn't because the registration process is completely different. You know, Manchester City's women's team is the women's team and the men's team is the men's team. So on that basis alone, you hope it would be completely the same across into the Super League. But I think, yeah, when you said that, you know, women often have to find the solutions for problems they never created. The example is the fact that, you know, a lot of um, the women who spoke out about this. So, you know, a lot of um, clubs spoke to my colleague, Tom Gary at Telegraph Women Sports, who said they were blindsided. You know, they didn't know about this. So to to hear about the fact that they're being proposed a league or thrown into a league that essentially no one really asked for, it's outrageous and it's wild but you would also hope that it is something that you know they don't get dragged into because the growth of women's football has been exponential and has been great and you know the Champions League more than anything the fact that you know Leon no longer um going into the final it couldn't be a better year for women's football and the last thing you wanted to do is for someone else to take the reins that has never been there in the first place one of the things that doesn't surprise me is that women most certainly didn't know if you know Mikel Arteta the, the manager of Arsenal didn't know like arguably the day before this news was released, he was asked an impressor and he had no idea what they were talking about. So it doesn't surprise me that women's players and those on the women's side didn't know anything. Um, I do want to bring it back to something you mentioned in your earlier response about community. How are the fans reacting to this? How are fans responding to the news of a potential Super League? Other than random American sports writers, soccer writers that seem to be authorities on everything with European football now. They're like, it's amazing. It's the NBA and NFL. Um, no, I think um, with a lot of supporter groups have come out and given statements, and, you know, conde- like saying they're not in support of the European Super League. And I've said there's, and some have, have as gone as far as, you know, saying we want our banners to be removed from the grants of our clubs. So um, I think supporter clubs have very much spoken out about it and have, you know, um, said that they are firmly against the formation of this league. And I think that really shows you the nature of what football fans are about. It's not, um about of course in some ways you can understand why football fans aren't business-minded and in this moment you're seeing how they're not business-minded and it's more about football than it is the money side from the club because 
I'm sure this league will have amazing financial gains for the clubs and will put them in ridiculous positions. But ultimately, it will kill football on a grassroots level. You know, very small clubs will not be able to compete with the likes of um, the big six or anyone in the top half of the league. And already that is a that is a divide that's already been widened as the years gone and it's suddenly just going to get a lot further and a lot bigger. But football supporter groups have been very much against it. You know, they've asked for their banners to be removed from grounds. Um, there's a petition that's been signed with over 100,000 signatures calling for um, the PM to speak about it. And I'm now, like, I think I think this past the threshold as to where like, the PM has to address it. So the Prime Minister has to take that into the House of Lords and speak on it. So I feel like Boris Johnson getting a word in. Like, I want to hear from him as much as I want to hear from Piers Morgan, which is nothing. However, I did hear Prince William issued a statement yeah. on this. And I mean, I don't know what level of regard folks have for his commentary, but he seems to be aware of what the culture. And that's what I find interesting. If grassroots level supporters have the same opinion as the prince. Yeah, I think, you know, I read a really interesting line that said, you know, the businessmen who run these clubs don't like the uncertainty of what football brings. Football gives you that underdog, which might win out of the blue. Do you know what I mean? Like Leicester City won a whole season where no one thought they were going to win. They thought they were going to relegate and then they went to win. Like that's probably every businessman's worst nightmare because that's such uncertainty you have. But it's equally what football fans love about the sport and what we love is the fact that anyone can win and sometimes... Liverpool will lose to Aston Villa by like 6-0 and, you know, and these things happen. And I guess why Prince William spoke about it is it is, he is a massive Aston Villa fan. Um, <laughs> and again, it is what just one example of like where you have those score lines which will shock you out of the blue and it will really be like, wow, this is what football is about. And unfortunately, you know, people feel like they're going to lose those wow moments if you do have a league which is just for the elite, by the elite. But that's that's what football is. It's the passion like that, you know, oof, Lester winning that season was like Ranieri was everyone's dream. He was the manager at the time, Claudio Ranieri, and that, you know, Jamie Vardy, however we may feel about Vardy and the family right now. I mean, Riyad Mahrez, like that whole that whole season was a Cinderella story that we couldn't that just really even if you're not a Leicester fan which I'm not but I was bandwagoning for sure because that yeah. season was so much fun so it's going to take that away and even like Mesuto Zeal had tweeted about it yesterday saying that fans don't want to see the big games matches every day every once in a while which is why the Champs League is so much fun because it's arguably the best teams from the entire continent that are competing with against each other sometimes we want those boring little derbies sometimes we want you know which are not boring for the local fans I think that's why this is so frustrating so and we also heard from Nadine Kessler who's also the head of women's football at UEFA Ada Hegerberg also tweeted about how problematic um, she thinks it is for the women's game do you think women's voices will and this may be a rhetorical question do you think women's voices will actually who are in positions of executive or management at all will be heard in this um I hope so. I think for a long time, women's football has been treated as parallel to men's football and has been giving the same treatment. You know, we've got a... The example is the fact that, you know, at the minute there's um, the Arsenal and Tottenham derby. Of course, it's a, it's a, the North London derby is a huge deal in men's football. And you'll try and give that the same attention in women's football, but also not acknowledging that it's a very, very newly formed relationship. You know, it doesn't carry the same excitement as seeing Arsenal versus Chelsea, which is a two club that have been in the WSL for a very long time. So you need that specialist knowledge and you need that experience of the league. So you hope that 
people do um, consider the opinions of people who work in the league or work in the um, in the field to make the right decisions around the formation of any form of league. But I think to do it um, as a byproduct of what's already out there, I don't think that's like the way to go. And I think that's ultimately going to be really detrimental to all the work that has been done in women's football so far and what should be done going forward. Just so you know, us at Burn It All Down a couple of months ago, we had a watch party for the Manchester Derby, the women's, and it was so much fun. Like Amira on the show, our beloved co-host is also a Manchester United fan. Ironically, probably just because of Marcus Rashford, there's no other reason. And then <laughs> I'm going to go for Man City because Nadine Nadine played there. Yeah. And I like Man City and Janine Becky of Canada plays there. So we kind of had a little rivalry and just low key. I like to oppose whatever team Amira is supporting. <laughs> but so there's so much of that. So Jordan Henderson, who was a captain of Liverpool, did call for a meeting of all the captains of the major clubs. What could come of that? Is there anything that could come of that? Do these footballers, do they have any rights in this? They're contractually obligated to their teams. So is are they just owned by the teams and have to go where the clubs say? Or do you actually think this could be a turning point of labor solidarity of these players? Um, I don't think you can ever fault, like, you know, any movement that's ever started at the hands of people that don't necessarily always have the power to do something about it. Um, I think it reminds me of, like, you know, the fact that the Players Together movement started with the fact that Premier League players wanted to do something in support of NHS staff and to aid, you know, the work that's being done around the pandemic. And that wasn't something that their clubs, or they felt maybe their clubs were doing, so they all grouped together and started to do work of the base of that. And that obviously got massive attractions. The same way, you know, um, of the Black Lives Matter movement, players have been very vocal about the race and the experience on a weekly basis, which is absolutely horrific. But it, it does take that one or two people to make that, to, you know, to come out and say what they want to say in hopes of, you know, encouraging other people to come out and do that. So it's great to see that um, Henderson has got that leadership and that Premier League captains are coming together to talk about it. Um, whether something will come from it, of course, like we'll just have to wait and see. But I think having seen what the last year has been about and how movements have started from just a group of small people gathering together as a collective and it's made like a massive change, you, you never know. Um I don't know if it's going to shake the houses that hold these Premier League owners, but it might just rattle the cage a little bit. Do you think we could see like anarchy in football? I know Brenda would love that. But (laughs) do you think that's possible? Can we expect anarchy in the space? No, no, I don't don't think we could expect that just yet. I think um, football is very much, or even English football is very much like, you know, upper tight lip, closed lip about it all. But it'll it'll be interesting to see. I think this is all really interesting. So we are still, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday and the news just came out yesterday. Do you expect any other major news to come out? Because how long did the the teams have for their invitation to reply? I, I do. I remember reading that it was they have a specific time limit in which they can respond. I'm not entirely sure of that because I don't I haven't seen that. But I do know that um, the reaction that players and clubs who aren't involved in the big six have made on social media and statements that they've put out saying that, you know, football is for the fans and it's it's about relegation, it's about promotions. Those have been very strong and they've been growing in numbers. So again, like all other football news, it's quite hard to keep up with on like a daily basis. It changes by the hour in terms of like, you know, who were the clubs that were invited to it, who clubs weren't invited to it, you know, Borussia Dortmund aren't involved. Again, arguably one of the best clubs um, in Europe. Why aren't they involved? Their ownership is very different to that, which is, of course, traditionally in the big six. 
So Dortmund is actually, for those that don't know, is a community membership owned model. It's not like an owner. So that's a bit different. So they're not, Dortmund isn't invited into this either. And, and it makes me wonder, like you mentioned, the businessmen don't like the model of the way soccer currently exists. But can't we just be like, get your hands off it? Leave it alone. It's fine as is. Yeah, I think this is, you know, this is the result of, um, and it's not an overnight thing. I think it's, it's definitely the result of years of, um, Manchester United owners didn't show up yesterday. The guys they didn't show up yesterday and take charge of the club. It's been a very lengthy process, and it's one that people have turned a blind eye to for a very long time. So I think it's just erupted at this point, and now people are going, "Oh my God!" Like this could affect the rest of the league, and this could affect everyone else, um, because you know, business owners who are seeing it as again rightfully a business are not necessarily seeing it as the sports that it is and that people and the players see it as as well. So it's a bit of an interesting dynamic. In your expertise, what do you think could be the best possible outcome for this? Putting aside your menu support, what do you think would be the best thing for the fans here? Um, I think there was um, Perez, who's a an Real Madrid president, who's who's also the president of this um, the league, made the argument that the reason why this is being done is that younger people are no longer interested in football, which I thought that in itself showed you how far removed owners or people that um, are involved in the ownership of football club are from their fan base. Because for mm. you to think that you know young people aren't interested in football is a massive bold statement and one that is completely incorrect. It is not that young people aren't interested in football; is that football isn't financially feasible for for a lot of young people it's not what it was you know 30 40 years ago we've got a great job where we get to speak to people about their journeys into football and you hear about how they would go um on a weekly to go and watch their favorite team but if you want to do that now it's easily into the range it's like two thousand (laughs) pounds and then you've got to think about you know if you want to watch football you've got to get three different subscriptions in the UK. You've got to get Sky, BT, <laughs> BBC, and then sometimes... You or you could get an illegal box. <laughs> <laughs> that too, but you know. Which which we do not, do not endorse. endorse. We're just saying. But do you know what I mean? So there's all of these things that happen and it's like football isn't financially... You've made football expensive for people and you've made it an elitist thing when it was never meant for that. So I don't think um, there is like going to be of course in an ideal world you want it to be like oh my god this is a terrible idea please scrap it but um I don't think that's going to happen unfortunately I think it is something that they will go ahead with but I do think having looked at the responses and the reactions to it it's something that they might have to look at and rework how they'll do it because they've not only lost their trust of and the support of footballing fans there are a lot of broadcasters that have also spoken out against this notion. So it'll be interesting to see us to over the next coming weeks as the plans and the details start to roll out. Because essentially they want it to start in September 2021, which isn't that long yeah. from now. So you'd need the details of where this will be hosted, what will be going on, etc. And as that comes out, you'll start to realise like, OK, cool, this is actually a deal. One of the things of what you just said that Perez said um, about youth not being involved or being interested is diametrically opposite to what I see. I see youth getting re-engaged with grassroots level football in such a tremendous way. And whether it's, you know, participation, recreation, love, or activism, I just, I love what you said about the owners being so far removed from the fan base, because that's what it feels like. Um, Now on to a fun question. Well, just start with a fun question, because this is a heavy topic. Tell me, what are your hopes and dreams for the Champs League? Seeing your oh, actually, I tweeted this the other day, and I remember I got a lot of um, backlash for it. 
just because a lot of my friends are um, Chelsea fans. So um, I want I want PSG, both men and women's team, to win the Champions League respectively. Um, I want Ramona Backman to score the winning goal because, you know, Chelsea let her go last season, which to me was a terrible idea. So, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> Whether it happens is another thing, but um, that's like an ideal vision I have. I mean, I am all for PSG. I love Formiga. I want this for her. I love Nadine Adim. I love, love, love Jordan Huidema, Ashley Lawrence, two Canadian players. I love this for them. And of course, you know, I refer to Kylan Mbappe as my son-in-law. I may or may not have encouraged Vadumo to marry him. I may or may not have you that on a WhatsApp. I'm just saying I love that team and I would love to see a little bit shake up thank you so much especially you know you're fasting and so much love to you and thank you for I know the last two days have been chaotic for you and through whatsapp and coordination but there's no one whose opinion I would have wanted on this other than yours no no it's okay that's like you know that's why we enjoy the madness that is football because you'll be sat at home thinking this is going to be such a good quiet week oh my god I literally (laughs) thought second week of Ramadan I was like I'm really getting the groove of this like you know I don't have that much to do and then like no (laughs) I literally, I think I must have said, like, on this, the day Mourinho gets sacked as well, I was like, did these not get the memo that it's Ramadan? Like, we can't do this. <laughs> get the memo. I was complaining because I'm writing finals right now. And I was like, I can't do this. I was whining. And my son's like, people fought wars, mama. Just write your paper. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, roasted. Okay. That's a very parent thing to say to you, though. So it's kind of like role reversal. Like, he's kind of... Totally. Oh, man. But anyways, thank you so much. You are the best. I mean, I hope, inshallah, I see you when this pandemic is over. We get to collaborate on something in person. That would be perfect. But I do appreciate all your generosity of knowledge sharing with Burn It All Down. Thank you.